Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of CrossCast. My name is Chad Barlow, I'm your host. CrossCast is a conversational style podcast where we talk about how to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of his people. Today I have Cole Stralo on. Cole, thanks for being on. Yeah, happy to be here. Excited to have you, man. We're going to talk about worship and liturgy, but since this is your first time being on the show and I love hearing people's testimonies and I think a lot of other people do too. I always like to start with the first guest with share us a little bit about your life story and how you came to believe that Jesus is the Christ and Lord and King and Savior and treasure. Sure. First two things I'm impressed with by you. Number one, your voice is so much better for this than mine. Like when we <laughs> listen to samples to try to see how it's sounding, I'm like, man, you have a voice made for radio and I do not. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. That's a great compliment. Also, if I tried to do your job and do like the open, I'd probably record it like 15 times, drive myself insane, walk out of the room, come back in, do it again. <laughs> when I came in here at the beginning of the pandemic and recorded a little video, like talked for like five minutes and did that song, uh-huh. I'm not I even going to tell you how many times oh, I recorded that. You'll go probably in the 40s. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> not all the way through, crazy. but like, <laughs> so I'm glad you're confident enough to just let her rip. Walk up to the ball, one swing, done. Yeah, amen. Because I I agree, we could go crazy (laughs) trying to make it perfect, but people just want to hear from real people like me and you are. So So, if you don't know, I'm from the Kansas City area. Kansas City is on Kansas. There's Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up on the metro on the Kansas side and kind of bounced around that area. Um, I grew up in a Christian family, went to good church, Um, was on the kind of conservative side and then throughout my time there like by the time I graduated from high school it changed quite a bit in a good way so I I grew up in a home of faith um, and I made a profession of faith when I was five just really young kid I remember walking down and talking to my mom and saying hey mom I think I need to be a Christian and praying with her but then like from with the distance I have right now at 33, 33, a couple days ago, by the way. Hey, happy birthday, man. And also it says here, there's supposed to be something interesting about myself. Yep. And I was trying to think of something. My wife and I were born on the exact same day. Whoa. What exact are the same odd, day, like, like same year, same day, yeah, same year, same, same rotation of the earth. <laughs> That's awesome. About 45 minutes away from each other. And then we Never met until we came out here. Oh my gosh, that is incredibly pretty interesting. interesting. Wow, yeah, touche on that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so with the distance that I have now, looking back at my story, I really have no idea like if that five-year-old confession was my true confession of faith, like if that's when I became a believer. Um, but I made it and sort of have a typical story with a lot of people who grew up in a Christian home. Like in a lot of ways, I played by the rules, like I didn't do a lot of the things you weren't supposed to do, which is part of the way that you would define yourself as growing up in a Christian home or being a Christian when you're young, I guess. And then, but in high school, it was like, I don't know. I didn't get into a lot. I don't have like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll story that a lot of people do, but I also Mm -hmm. think like, I don't really see a flame that was lit in my heart looking back. And I see a lot of spiritual apathy, a lot of sin. And then about 
my senior year of high school started to feel God doing something. And then I decided to change plans and to go to Bible college, which is the same one that Rich went to and that Gary and Jamie went to, if you remember them, if you're an OG crossing mm-hmm. parishioner. Um, Remind us what school that was. Northland Baptist Bible College. Northland BBC. In BBC. In Iowa or somewhere? Way up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Oh, I was way up. You off. go to Green Bay, you start driving north, and you go into the woods. <laughs> you just keep driving. There's bears, there's and, trees. And the Bible College. And then there's the Bible College, and that's okay. where I went to school. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but I show, I decided decided to go there my freshman year. I just wanted to go there for a year. Uh, my uncle was actually the president of the school at the time, and I had a lot of friends who were there. So I knew, like I just had some vague idea that it would be profitable for me to be there for a year and to learn and kind of soak in a lot of the, just the experience of being at a Bible college. So I went up there for a year, and then while I was there, I would say it was probably, no, definitely the most transformative year of my life, like just had a lot of spiritual immaturity exposed, realized how selfish I was, and also actively like began to see the glory of God really for the first time in a lot of ways, I think, Mm -hmm. where I felt like I could set aside the silly things that I cared about a lot and find more joy in knowing God, which is kind of a typical story for a lot of people, but I mean, that's what happened. Like I just... I started to see the way that my life had been going as just a bunch of dust and wasn't really that appealing to me anymore, even though it wasn't, again, the, the rock and roll story. It was like, mm. there's just no, there, the pilot light wasn't on. Like the house was a little bit cold or a lot cold <laughs> and I found something better in that whole year. I think in large part, just being around a lot of older guys who were going the right direction, who were really mature and also really fun guys that I could hang out with have a good time but at the same time just learn a ton and soak a lot in and that year really changed the course of my life and i decided not to uh, i decided to change plans again and to stay there for all four years so i got a degree in theology there and then after that i came back to kansas city and interned at my church countryside baptist church in olathe kansas and did i think it was like six months like half of it there and then half of it in mexico with a missionary Whoa, I and, didn't know that about you, dude. Yeah, so my actually after my sophomore year, I don't know, I can't remember. <laughs> two separate summers in college, I went to Morocco and spent time there working with a missionary. And then, yeah, went to Mexico, like to real Mexico, like Sinaloa of the Sinaloa cartel where there's no like, oh. you know, there's no gringos with a bunch of sunscreen on walking by. <laughs> More like, hey, that's where the hitman lives. Don't steal anything from his yard. Okay. Like, that kind of Mexico. Okay. And that a lot of really... <laughs> great people there and enjoyed it. But yeah, there was a time when I felt like I was moving towards full-time missions overseas. And then when I got back from all that, I kind of had this like ran into a wall and realized like, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of deficiencies that I've been ignorant of or kind of ignored. Like a lot of, I don't know, just things about me that weren't really well suited to, I'm going to go and be a missionary on a foreign field and like help start this church in a cross-cultural context. Like I was just far less spiritually mature and mature in general than I realized Mm. and needed time to, to work on that. And that kind of moved me in a different direction. Sometimes I still think maybe that's what I'll do one of these days, but I was sitting in a living room with, in a house with a bunch of buddies that I grew up with. And 
um, that I was living at at the time. And then Gary McQueen called me and said, Hey Gary, no, he didn't say that. He was Gary. He said, Hey Cole, <laughs> do you want to come out here and help out at this church called the crossing and lead worship? And I said, Oh man, I just told this other church that I was going to do that for them. But my girlfriend had just broken up with me at the time when I was kind of like ready to get out of get Dodge, out, okay. get out of Kansas. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that, that time in life when you can just be like, okay, whatever. I like to just go throw all my stuff in my little Honda Civic and head out West literally and just roll into town. I've never even heard of Fort Collins before. Wow. And just bummed off. And well, I stayed with Gary for like two nights in their little apartment and then crashed at the Moore's house for a little while and then lived with Gary for several years. So I kind of came out here with like zero prospects, like nothing happening at all. Oh my like Post Bible college, like not a very marketable degree, like trying to find jobs with a theology degree is like people don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I just stuck around and here I am. Yeah. Met yeah. Alex and we got married in 2014. Not that long after I showed up actually come to think of it and we love it here. Here we are. So this has been also a huge part of my testimony. Now I think it's like when I was in college, there was a ton of learning about God and these categories are not perfect. Both things are happening at both times. So give me grace, but it was like Mm -hmm. really discovering what God is like for the first time, but kind of being pretty ignorant about myself in a way that like, not that like you should know your weaknesses, like know your deficiencies. Mm Mm-hmm as well as your strengths and try to move in your strengths and try to work on your weaknesses and not try to be someone that you're not. And yeah. I was pretty far from that. I was kind of more, I was more like tossed into this environment where they didn't necessarily think that way very much. It was more like very God centered, which is a good thing, but leaving that environment, I kind of just immediately like tried to sprint. Like I was Chad Barlow coming around the corner <laughs> on a 400 and just tripped right over myself <laughs> and had this season of becoming like more aware of who I am and like what has God made me to do mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Like yeah, what yeah. are you good at? What are you not good at? So that's been the story of my time here, I think is like personal growth in that area along with obviously, obviously like getting to know God more too, but yeah, just being more honest and more realistic about who I am and what I can do to help the church and what God made me to do. Yeah, that's really good. That's that's funny you say that because that's kind of the, the season of PLI that we're in right now. It's our last mm-hmm. semester of Pastors Leadership Institute, and we've been all like writing these five-year visions that like make us talk about like, what did you learn about yourself? What are your strengths and how can you move in them? What are your weaknesses? Where do you need, you know, others to kind of come alongside you and be strong where you're weak? So mm-hmm. amen on that. So a question off notes here for you was, what's your role here at the crossing? Just for people who don't go to the crossing, who don't know you listeners. I'm the worship leader or technically the chief musician. (laughs) I was going to say. (laughs) Which is a holdover from. I heard from Gary. He he coined that for you. Gary coined that one, I think. And I just thought it was funny and we went with it. I love it. Yeah. I think it's still on the website that you're the chief musician. I am the chief musician. Because like. Even though I'm not even close to the best musician, I am the chief musician. What does that mean? Isn't that a biblical term? <laughs> sort of. It's kind of like a throwback to, yeah, like the Levitical tribe leading worship. And there was, you know, somebody was in charge of all that. Yeah. It was a big deal. It's still a big deal now. Um, that's where that term comes from. I think when I first, like when we re-upped the website in like 2013, Gary asked me for a picture and I kind of jokingly sent him one with a knife in my teeth. I was with some 
some former crossing guys um, going <laughs> backpacking in the woods somewhere, and I was just goofing around and had a knife in my teeth, and that made it onto the website, and it was there for like three years. Oh, my gosh. Until Daniel got rid of it. Oh, Smitty, come I on. I know. It was unique. Br- bring back the knife and the teeth picture, Smitty. <laughs> so my role as the chief musician is to lead us in worship and to organize all that. I pick the songs that we're going to do as well as the other liturgical elements for the morning. And then I help organize along with Jack. Jack does the same thing that I do on a more part-time basis than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we practice with the team and try to get ready to go for Sunday mornings and then lead everyone corporately on Sunday mornings. So that's my role. Awesome. We appreciate your, your role. I think you're doing a great job and Jack and everyone else who's up there with you guys. Thanks. Really. It's a love. I say this a lot, especially when I'm, when I'm doing preaching or call to worship, but Sunday morning's my favorite time of the week, man. Worshiping with God's people, singing to God, hearing his word preached. Love it. Good. So um, you said two words that we're really going to focus on in this most of this podcast, worship and liturgy. So first question for you, man. It's going to sound like a stupid question, but I think we need to talk about it. Uh, what is worship? Well, it's not a stupid question for sure. <laughs> well, I think you can... You can talk about it in different ways and you can break it up into different categories. One thing that I always think about is the first part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is what is the chief end of man? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to worship him, to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever yeah. And I think those, like to, to glorify God and to enjoy him, that first part is a simple answer to the question of like, what is worship? And then the second part of that, to enjoy him forever, is kind of the answer to the follow-up question that I can read in the notes here. Why should we worship? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you could take that first part to glorify God and break it up into active and passive categories. And again, these are not mm. like these are not perfect categories. It's just one way to think about this. So give me grace on the yeah. on the paradigm. But if you think of worshiping God in a passive sense, what I mean by that is. Like when you go throughout your day, there is a way to do the things that you do in life that honors God. Mm-hmm. Just think about Paul saying, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you're running a 400 and whether you're chopping wood, changing a diaper, like when you're doing those things, I think generally you're not, like you're thinking about the thing you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're thinking about the ax in your hands. You're thinking about how terrible this diaper is. Like, <laughs> thinking that right you guys, <laughs> you're actually thinking about the things that you do um, because that's what life is like in the world that God made and yet there's a way to do those things that is a form of worship and I call it passive only because what I mean is you're, you're actually thinking about the thing you're doing you're not necessarily thinking about God although you could and sometimes you do yeah but it's more like going to work like or doing the most mundane daily tasks that you have that no one will ever see like all the way from those things up to the bigger things that you do in life there's just a way a holy way to do things and an unholy way to do things and to do things in a holy way is a form of worship and a form of glorifying god mm-hmm. that's really good man and then so if you could sort of call that passive mm-hmm. I understand. glorification then if you turn to the active half that'd be more like thinking like directing your thoughts toward God, not just toward in the world he made and like kind of seeing things that remind you of him, but actually like looking directly at him Mm -hmm. and ascribing back to him the glory that you see in him. So 
that's is this is corporate worship this is individual worship um, both those things are obviously valid and important parts of this but it's it's more like an active versus the passive where you're you're thinking about God like mm-hmm. you're thinking about the perfections of God thinking about his grace to you mm-hmm. so there's um, there's definitely an element of active thankfulness toward God for what you have in him and like a precision of thought about like what is God like mm-hmm. and ascribing or telling so to speak like those things back to him not that he needs it but that's just what he's created us to do and I think the reason why we do that stuff and both corporately as a body and whether you're in the car listening to music and singing along or just observing things you see or whatever like the reason that you do that is because not only is the chief end of man to glorify God, but it's also to enjoy him forever and worshiping God, like to worship God in the fullest sense, like across the board is to enjoy him and to enjoy your life in a way that's not possible without knowing him. Mm. So there's several reasons for why we would worship God. Like you could definitely go to the fact that he deserves it. Like he's worthy to be worshiped and nobody else is. Um, he commands us to worship him. Yep. Then also you could think about we worship God just because it's the thing that we were made to do and it makes us happy, like mm-hmm. in the fullest, best sense of that word, like truly happy. Um, there's that quote from St. Irenaeus. I think that's how you say his name, that the glory of God is a man fully alive. And mm. I think like just the question posed in the Westminster Catechism is pretty profound in that, like, what is the chief end of man? And in a sense, it's profound, but it's also like this this basic question that people have been asking forever. Like, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Why do I exist? And, and really, like, why does anything exist? Like, why why is there a table right here? Like, how can it be that, that there is matter, mm-hmm. that there is existence? How is it even possible that, that there is something rather than nothing? And then if there is this big something that we're in, like, why in the world am I? Am I here? I think a lot of people struggle with that. Even believers can struggle with that at times. Like this isn't just a concept for people who don't know God, but also people for people who do know God to reorient yourself to the fact that like worshiping God in the fully the fullest sense of that word. So both passively, like in everything that you do, and also actively, mm-hmm. is to light the flame in your heart, like to kick that pilot light on so that you're truly alive and to find something that will you'll never throw over your shoulder to go look for something else for. Like, I know that's a big part of your story that you were finding, you know, like we're not finding satisfaction in lesser things or sinful things, but that's really for any believer. Like that's a part of your story, both pre-conversion and post-conversion as we wander or drift that we can set our affections or set our attentions, attentions on lesser things and not find satisfaction in it. So yeah. One big reason why we do it is because it's what you were made to do Mm -hmm. and that in itself glorifies God and it's good for you. Like corporately, it's one of the biggest thing that knits us together as a body that Mm -hmm. we, we don't just do this in the shower or you don't just do this (laughs) in the car. Like this is a thing that God created us to do as a corporate entity, like as a group of brothers and sisters. And there's just something maybe even a little bit difficult to put your finger on but there's something really good about that and something that's affirming to all the things that we know to be true and affirming that 
helps us affirm that we love one another and that we love God together and that we're helping each other along in this process. And there's just no substitute for doing it corporately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I have a, like a follow-up question for you going off notes again here, but is there a sense when we're singing together corporately that we absolutely are first and foremost singing to God, but is there a sense in which we're singing to each other too, reminding each other of the perfections we've seen in him, as you've said? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily define it quite like we're singing to each other. It's more like um, we're just doing this together. Gotcha. Like it's a thing that we're doing together, almost like when you're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving and singing a song, if your family does that, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're not just doing it alone. Like it's kind of like a big, more formal version of the campfire. If you've ever had that experience with Mm -hmm. other believers where you're singing, like there's just something special about it where you're together, you're rehearsing what God is like. Yeah. And you're in a sense telling each other what God is like, like as you're watching them glorify God and they're watching you glorify God sort of like doing communion together. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I would say we're singing to each other, but we're definitely doing it together and and it's something that's just fundamentally different. It is encouraging to each other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a way that's, that's different than doing it alone. And that's critical. Yeah. I, I truly am always encouraged when I see, you know, sometimes I look around when we're worshiping, when we're singing, I'm going to get to that here in a second. What I just, that, gaff I just did but like when I see people truly entering into worship and like you know it's like you can tell they're just an audience of one man they're worshiping the Lord like that always stirs me to worship more mm-hmm. I love seeing that yeah and I just had one more comment about what you've been saying is there's a great C.S. Lewis quote I should have printed it out something about how again like we're made to worship like lovers praising each other a guy who likes hiking praising his favorite hikes like we are creatures who who are created to worship and mm-hmm. And we know it as Christians, and and we can share to unbelievers, like, we all worship something. Like, that's the core of what we were created to do. We're yeah. praising our favorite pizza restaurant. We're praising the best movie that's come out. Like, that is what we are here for. So that's not a question. That's just yeah. a yes and amen. Andrew Peterson has a song called Don't You Want to Thank Somebody? <laughs> and I think that's getting at what you're, what you're getting at, which is that you feel this, like a human being feels this impulse to thank somebody for the goodness that they encounter as well as to share it with other people. Hmm. Like the same impulse you feel when you click the share button, like, Oh, this is really funny. (laughs) I'm going to share this with Chad or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of, there's something there. Like it's, it's a similar thing and it's sad to go through life without any outlet for that. Like Mm -hmm. I was reading something about that the other day. Like the saddest thing about atheism is you just have nobody to think. Oh man. And yeah, that's not like a gotcha at atheist, like checkmate. It's just like, it is, like to go through life without any awareness of where like these good things come from. Like, who do I think for all this? Mm-hmm. Like we know the answer and we can do that and it feels good. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's good. Do you remember what, what website you found? No clue. That no clue. No, it's just rattling around in there. I have okay. two kids under two. Now, so <laughs> no idea. <laughs> You're like barely here right now. <laughs> okay. So I have a, another question for you and it may come off a bit pharisaical, and I'm not trying to sound like a Pharisee. I just, I used to be a youth pastor and I got on my soapbox with the, the students about this. So does it annoy you like it does to me when people refer to worship only as the congregational singing on mm-hmm. Sunday morning? Like, oh yeah, that church is really good because their worship is so good. And what they mean is, you know, the worship band is really good. And 
So that's just a yes or no question. So maybe I could follow up with like, and how can we be a part of helping people have a bigger view of worship? Yeah. Uh, yes or no? No, it doesn't annoy me anymore. You're not a Pharisee like me. <laughs> I don't think you're a Pharisee. I think I totally know what you're what you're getting at there and what you're saying. And there is something true to that. I just think for most people, like there's this funny thing about the English language where there's all this these like understood things in parentheses before words that we're saying <laughs> for most people, when they say worship, they're talking about corporate worship. And I think they know there's more to it than that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we may like underemphasize worshiping outside of the corporate setting. Like it is something that we should talk about potentially more. Although I do think we do a pretty good, decent job about it here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it doesn't annoy me. I think it used to a little bit, mm-hmm. but not anymore. I think I know what people mean. Cool. But it is a, a real concept and something to keep in mind and think about. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so next question. We're moving on to liturgy related to worship. But what can you define liturgy for us? The or, fancy definition is the work of the people, which I've heard people say, and I always scratch my head a little bit, like, <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't know that that's particularly helpful. Hmm. But I think the best way to think about liturgy is like a, the repetition, like things that we do repetitively, that shape us and that teach us something about the object that we're singing about or doing something to or whatever, like, cause liturgy, you could apply it. You could apply it more broadly to other subjects, but in the term, like in the context of the church, I think it's, it's the things that we do over and over again, that whether we know it or not are shaping our thoughts about God and shaping the way that we think about each other. And there's stories hidden in liturgies. And before I should say that, maybe like to be more clear, you could think of a liturgy as just like the order of service. That'd be like a more... I was going to follow up that. That's what I've heard it as. It's yeah. Just, uh, it's you... not as... It's like a 25 cent word instead of a $5 yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Right. A layman, a non-chief musician <laughs> would thought, oh wait, I, th- I thought it was just like order of service. Yeah, I so mean... So that's, that's not wrong. There's just more to it. Yeah, like that. liturgy is more of like a more intentional way to think about it. Like it's almost like you're trying to accomplish something with the order of the service instead of just putting something together. Mm. So, yeah, there's more intentionality embedded in the word, I think. Gotcha. And you can look back at the way that um, the church was doing things back in the first and second century, all the way through different movements in the church and what their liturgies were like. And a lot of it is very intentional. They're doing it for a reason. And uh, one of the big things the things that will drive the way that you shape your service is you want it to echo the great story of life, which is God's story and us together. So there's a follow-up on here. What's our liturgy? Like, to be honest, it's something that's in development. Like I didn't get a ton of instruction or experience in that stuff when I was learning how to do all this. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've been, Jack and I have been talking about and we're implementing different things to try to be more intentional here. Yeah. Um, but in general, what I try to do is I try to go from creation to fall to redemption to glory in song selection and in prayers and readings and things that we do to sort of go through the story of us and the story of God over and over again. And that's where that part comes in where we want it to be to act upon you sometimes without you even knowing it. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like, cause everything does this, right? Like mm-hmm. watching a movie or reading a book, like it's, it's an active thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's doing something to you, whether you realize it or not. And 
the order and the shape of the service is doing something to us, especially over time. Like, I don't know that this is, well, it should have a short, like a, you know, somebody walks in one time and experiences it. There should be something to that obviously as well, but there's also this long-term thing where moving through the story over and over again, teaches you how to think and teaches you how to approach God and mm -hmm. how to do worship on your own. So we try to go through that story. Typically we open with songs um, that are about like broadly about the glory of God or about creation sometimes specifically. And then we will have songs that touch on the fall and talk about um, how heavy sin is, how wide the gap was or is between us and God mm -hmm. um, without him, without the cross. And then redemption, like to celebrate what God has done for us and then to, to look forward, to look to the future of glory forever with him. And there's not really clean lines between those things mm -hmm. because you can't really talk about one of those things without touching on totally other things. Like they blend together a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's like a general general shape of the service. Yeah, that's fascinating, dude. I think that's going to change the way I think about <laughs> the songs that we sing and Good. the listeners. That's cool. There's also other things like things we want to do more of. Like we're starting to do, if you've noticed, um, in a few different ways, we're doing like confession of sin corporately and assurance of pardon, mm -hmm. prayers for illumination of the word. Like all those things are things that are taken from historical practices in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, so I grew up in a Baptist church where it was like, let's just say we called it an order of service, mm -hmm. not a liturgy. Yeah. <laughs> Although we had one because everyone has one. But yeah, I don't know that there was a great emphasis, emphasis put on this. And any kind, like as a proud, well, not proud, as a happy <laughs> Protestant, somebody who is not a Catholic, purely for theological reasons, not like to speak ill of people who are Catholic, but just like theologically, like I'm very Protestant and not Catholic and grew up that way, like trained to see the problems with the Catholic definition of the gospel versus the totally. Protestant definition of That's the gospel. That's an upcoming podcast episode, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. Who are you going to have do that? Uh, Justin Kellum. His okay. brother recently left Protestantism to join the Roman Catholic Church. So Justin's oh. been studying a lot and trying to talk to his brother. Gotcha. So That'll be good. Yeah, I'm excited about that episode. Okay. Um Oh, yeah, I was very suspicious of formality, like suspicious of any kind of pomp and circumstance in gotcha. the church. Yeah. Because it felt to me like a like a rote just a, like a rep, like a very repetitious thing in an, in a way that's bad. Like to do the same thing over and over again with your lips and maybe not so much with your heart. With your lips and not with your heart, like it's just this thing that you do like a form mm -hmm. that the, you do to please God or something gotcha. like that. And I think there is danger in some of that. Like, it's not like you can just blindly throw yourself into the world of formality and church services, like the whole high church approach. Um, however, I think that the kind of churches that I grew up in probably overreacted to that and were a little bit too afraid of formality and intentionality mm. in the service. Like, you know, I, I went to an Anglican church once when I was in college. I visited this, I think it's called College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. Was that for fun or as a homework assignment for school? Uh, I was visiting friends okay. who were in, cool. um, in school at Wheaton. Yeah, cool. <coughs> Excuse me, but if you've ever been to an Anglican church, like they have, there's a lot going on. Like they have people mm. dressed up in the liturgical garb, like walking down the middle and someone's holding up a cross and someone's holding up a Bible. And there's all these formalities that took place. And I remember thinking like, this is very, very different 
than what I grew up in, but I trust the people that I know are here and I don't sense anything wicked or evil in this. Like it's just different than what I grew up in. Yeah. And I think I've come to realize that there's a lot we can take from those traditions and kind of realize that really like in the scope of church history, we're kind of the weird ones by not having <laughs> a very like much formality going on or more intentionality going on. I think that's, yeah, potentially a weak spot and part of the church that there's been a lot of great work happening in recently though. Like there's a lot of good books being written about this stuff and there's mm-hmm. a lot of churches. Go ahead. So you don't just mean the crossing church, but like no. uh, 2020, no, like, just contemporary church yeah, or like American young, church? Restless, reformed, you know, Acts 29, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. Gotcha. Acts 29 is yeah. not a good example because they do probably a better job than with this stuff. But like churches like ours, there's I think plenty of them who have not embraced much of liturgy and much formality when I think there's room for some of that. And I think it's really about, it's not about formality versus informality as much as it's about intentionality, like really taking time to stop and think about things. Like we're not just singing songs to sing them. Like there's kind of a theme and a progression to the service. And I think we need to do, I need to do a better job at helping people realize what we're doing in those steps through, through a liturgy. So it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's, it's the work of the people, the work of me trying to, figure out how to do it better. That's all right. Yeah. We're all, we're all growing. And so also, um, could we call like liturgy, you were talking specifically songs and, and in the middle of those songs, prayers of confession and assurance and mm-hmm. of pardon and stuff. But like if we zoomed out, like our whole service is, has a liturgy, right? Like we do call to worship and then we sing and then we hear the word preached. Mm-hmm. Is that more, is that, that's just more like, order of service, AKA liturgy. Yeah, I think so. And then communion and then a song. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely shape those things according to the story of God as well. But I think at some level, like you can't get too cute. Like, well, we're going to sing and we're going (laughs) to hear from the word and the beginning and the end should be appropriate for the beginning and the end. Like it's not so granular that it's like every single thing in here has a very particular symbol. meaning, Like, there is a very practical element to how we do these things. Yeah. And some of it is just by choice, like just what makes sense to us. But mm-hmm. an infusion of intentionality, I think, is a good thing. And I think we'll continue to do more and more of that as we move forward. So I just have one more question for you. It's kind of personal. If you don't feel like you have a great answer, that's okay. Let's but get it really personal. is personal and just like you as a brother in Christ to me and to the listeners. Mm hmm. You're, you're a chief musician, but that doesn't mean you have to be like this superstar worshiper. Okay, I want to free you from that. Like there shouldn't be an expectation on Cole or Jack that you I've have some... I've abandoned being a superstar <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> but just as a guy who's passionate about worship and liturgy and leading, you're, you're gifted and Jack is gifted in leading people into... So is Eric. Worship. Eric say, Scott, yeah. yes. He's done a great job filling in. Yeah, I agree. Um what what encouragements would you have for me or the listeners for for my or our individual worship or cor- corporate worship as far as like mindset heart posture perspectives and you've already offered some really good ones i didn't know that about the the way you guys choose the songs so that's going to be on my radar now and hopefully the listeners but anything else you would just encourage us with hmm. well i think like the concept or the word of the day is definitely unity like there's a lot <laughs> If you haven't noticed, there's a lot going on in the world these <laughs> days. And we had um, Justin and Lydia Kellum were over last night. And we were talking about these things, how it feels like things are becoming more 
divided than ever before. Yeah. Like there's all these fault lines throughout America, at least in America, fault lines that were there that we kind of happily walked back and forth across and never really worried about that I feel like are starting to stress. And the things that have happened lately have exposed the fault lines. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of trouble, to be honest. Like, let's be honest, there's a lot of trouble in the church right now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of angst. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, yeah, just troubled hearts and people who are trying to figure out where they belong and what to do and how we should interact with each other. And I think it's harder than it used to be mm-hmm. because in general, churches at least in areas like ours, like it's kind of a birds of a feather thing to a certain degree. Like people tend to flock together mm-hmm. with a certain amount of shared thought about what's happening around them. Like not perfectly. Like of course there's different ideas and there's a diversity of, of thought and diversity of backgrounds and things. However, I think that has all kind of been interrupted by the interruptions of 2020. So all that to say, Worshiping is something that I think should tie us together. And I think more than ever, it's important to think about that aspect we talked about earlier, which is this is something that we do together. Mm-hmm. That's not really optional for a believer. Like you don't have to be at a particular church, but while we're here and while we have covenanted together to be at one church, I think it's important to make it a priority and to remember that our identity in Christ, our future in Christ is the thing that ties us together. And it's a higher loyalty. It's a higher common bond than all the things that can divide us. Mm -hmm. And it's critical for us to not, um, not let the, the ways in which we are different break our fellowship. And that's easy to say, (laughs) like it's a real, there's some really difficult topics and I promise I'm not trying to take shots at anyone out there or whatever. Like I don't have anyone in mind when I'm talking about this. I just know it's a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. Not just in our church, like all over oh, the church. Yeah. Um, churches are wrestling with these things. Our pastors are wrestling with um, COVID stuff. Um, people are upset about election things right now. There's just a general turmoil and upheaval in our country. And it feels like it's easier than ever for the differences to work their way down in between us and divide us. And I think worship is the most powerful weapon that we have to try to stay together. Like to not get a divorce as a church, let's stay together. Let's um, use specifically really like the time of corporate worship as this sweet time of bonding together to remember what's important, important and to actively uh, take part in our highest um, our highest calling yeah. together and to stay together. Dude, that's such a good word. Thank you so much. Amen. I don't think we need to add anything else. <laughs> wow. Thanks for being on today, man. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I've listened to so many podcasts and now I can feel really cool. Like You've I have been a been guest on, one. <laughs> on a podcast that 25 people, yeah. no, hopefully 200 people. <laughs> uh, about 50 people oh, listen okay. to this. We'll so yeah. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Crosscast. God bless you in your worship tomorrow, because today's Saturday. We're recording on a Saturday, so God bless you in your worship tomorrow. And uh, you'll hear from me again maybe next week, God willing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.